Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. Listen to these words we just sang. Though oceans roar, you are the Lord of all. The one who calms the wind and waves and makes my heart be still. Though the earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea. The nations rage. Boy, the nations are raging. He says, I know my God is in control. I know it may not look like it at times, but he's never out of control. Lord of hosts, you're with us. With us in the fire. With us as a shelter. With us in the storm. He is our Emmanuel. He, he is God with us. You will lead us. He'll lead us if we're willing to follow him. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go? Where else would we go but with the Lord of hosts? Amen. Where else would you and I go except with the Lord of hosts too? Uh, it's a powerful song based on Psalm 46. I love our times of worship together. You know, there's a phrase a lot of people and organizations use to inspire unity and teamwork, and probably heard it over and over. United we stand, divided we fall, right? And uh, if Scott was here, I'd ask him uh, about the song recorded in 1969 called United We Stand and Divided We Fall by a group called Brotherhood of Man, but it was quoted long before then. Patrick Henry quoted it. But it's also a biblical thing. A house divided cannot stand. So united we stand, divided we fall. It encourages teamwork. Instead of everybody just going their own way, doing their own thing, because we can accomplish a whole lot more if we're united in our efforts instead of being divided. And it's going to take a united team Tuesday night for us to have a fruitful effort for God's kingdom at the block party. And think of united, where our nation is called the United States of America. But truthfully, are we really living in the United States of America? Or are we living in the, the divided states of America? I look around because it seems like as a nation these days, we are anything but united. And we know the devil just loves to cause division, doesn't he? And as a nation, we are divided over all kinds of issues, and I don't even want to get into all the specific areas where there is division in our land, but I do want us to consider that word united this morning. The definition of united is to be joined together for a common purpose. And I, I think of a football team or, or any sports team, but first let's, let's think about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is supposed to be joined together for a common purpose, to love God, to love others, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've already talked about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And Jesus tells us, love God with everything we've got and love others. He also says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Like, wow, that's a tall order. 
That's a really tall order. But how many of us are really doing that? Joined together. No Lone Rangers in this. Joined together for a common purpose. That's being united. But let's think about a football team for a minute. They need to be joined together for a common purpose, right, which is win the game. That's the goal. Win the game. Did you win the game? Was your team united in its effort? Was it joined together for a common purpose? Now, keep in mind, just because a team is joined together for a common purpose doesn't mean they're going to win every game because the team on the other side has got the same goal. Right? They're joined together for the same common purpose, win the game. But you can be united and still lose. Unless you're the Bradley Bears this year, who went undefeated, which is wonderful. Anyway, but think about the word united. Actually, more specifically, the word unity, because that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're united, you have unity. But that takes effort. To have unity on a football team, it takes effort and work. To have unity in our marriage, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes prayer. To have unity at work or at school, that takes effort. To have unity in the church, it takes a whole lot of effort, and it takes a whole lot of prayer too, amen? So how do we cultivate unity in the church when we have so many different opinions? How, how do we cultivate unity in the church when our culture seems to be overrun with such division and everyone thinks their way is the best way? How do we cultivate that unity? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to look at this morning. The title of this morning's message is Unity in the Body of Christ. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, Philippians 2, Romans 12, and a few Proverbs. Good header, Chris. Good header. Let's pray. Father, open your word up to us now. Teach us something we thought we may have heard. We, we've heard. We know. We know the principles involved, but Lord... Are we living it out? Is our life reflecting that we uh, have unity? Teach us this morning or remind us, at least remind us of something that we already know, but maybe we, uh, we're forgetting to uh, put it into practice. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to this church this morning. I pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. All right. Unity in the body of Christ. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I mean, the Bible has it broken down into six chapters, but it's actually just one long letter. This is one of Paul's prison letters. He wrote while he was being held in a, a prison in Rome. And in, in chapter four of this letter, there are four words that have the power to help us build unity. Four words that have the power to change our relationships at work, at school, at home, wherever we come in contact with people, even in our church gatherings. These four words can help create and build unity, but only, only through the power of Holy Spirit and our cooperation. We have to be willing to cooperate with what Holy Spirit's doing. And if we will embrace these words, if we will live these words out, it will draw us closer to each other, and it will begin in our own hearts, and it will increase unity at all levels. First in our hearts, and then overflowing into our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our parents, with our grandparents, with our brothers, our sisters, our in-laws, our outlaws, our family members, friends, classmates, co-workers, you name it, neighbors. And right here, 
with our church family, the, the tribe of joy, right? Well, let's see, let's see what those four words are, okay? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 3. This is Paul saying, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We talked about, is our life worthy of imitating last week? And here Paul is begging us to lead a life worthy of the calling God has on us. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Man, there's a lot in there. Let's hold it right there. Always, 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 he says, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love because of your love we make allowance for one another listen to this make every effort you hear that make every effort to what keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace that's why he's saying bind yourself together with peace so let's just focus on the four character traits mentioned in verse two that we all need more of in our lives i know i sure do but let's isolate those four words, those four things, okay? Look, look at them, just those four words. We all need more humility. We all need more gentleness. We all need more patience. And we all need more love, right? So let's start with humility. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Philippian church, but it still applies to every one of us today. Look at Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but listen up, in humility, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Boy, that don't come natural to us, does it? Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, including each one of us here this morning, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came looking not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others? Aren't you grateful he wasn't self-centered and only thought of himself? Aren't you eternally grateful that he humbled himself? He became obedient, the word tells us, to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did that so you and I have the only way to the Father in heaven. So I ask, do you know this Jesus personally as your Savior? Because if not, we need to talk. We need to talk before you leave here today. I'm probably preaching to the choir. But see, a selfish person would not never do what Jesus did for us. Never. So humility has the perspective to put others first. It assures us that serving others is far more valuable than just thinking of our own life. But I know, I know, doesn't come natural to it, doesn't come natural to me, because we're selfish by nature. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to truly be humble people. We'll never get there in our own strength. Putting others before ourselves is hard. That really requires sacrifice. And we know selfishness can ruin relationships. Selfishness can ruin a marriage. It can ruin a friendship. It can ruin a business. It can even ruin a church. 
But genuine humility can help build each one of them up. Jesus was humble, right? He was willing to give up his rights in order to obey his father and serve people. He came as a servant, remember? So why should we think we're not here as servants? Are we like Christ? Do we have a servant's heart? Are we humble people? Chances are pretty good if we think we're humble, we're probably not. <laughs> but when we're willing to put others' needs first, and we're willing to gladly serve the people, not just serve them, but gladly serve the people around us and those who God puts in our path, then we are cultivating an environment for unity. And if we're willing to go the extra mile to serve our spouse or our kids or our grandkids or our parents or a friend or a coworker, even a stranger in need, if we're willing to do that without expecting a pat on the back or an attaboy, that helps build unity. But we've got to remember, it takes humility first. And let's not forget God's word tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, I want his grace, don't you? I don't want the creator of everything opposing me. That won't turn out well. I want his grace. And I know you do too, and that, that takes humility. So, so to build and cultivate unity in the body, Paul tells us, start with humility. And then he mentions gentleness. Two chapters later, Paul writes this to the Philippians, and to us too. Philippians 4, verse 5, look at that. He says, let your gentleness be evident to who? To all. To all. Not just to the Sunday morning crowd at church. Not just to the people we're trying to impress. But let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Is our gentleness evident to all? Is, is our gentleness evident to anybody? Is our gentleness evident to the people we live with or, or people we work with or people we go to school with? Would the people who know us the very best describe us as having a gentle spirit? Like he or she, you know, they have a gentle spirit. Can people say that about us? And if not, why not? Why not? Let me tell you, gentleness goes a long way in any conversation or relationship or any situation we find ourselves in. Because gentleness has power. There, there's nothing weak about gentleness. Look what Proverbs 15.1 tells us. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers, tempers flare. Boy, ain't that the truth. Harsh words make tempers flare, but a gentle answer deflects anger. Another translation that verse says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And sometimes people with different personalities, just rub each other the wrong way, right? And some people are just blunt. Sometimes they're too blunt. No filter, no, no, no thought of, ooh, that, that, that came out kind of harsh. And that, that can upset people. That can irritate people. That can stir up anger. And people just blow it off saying, well, uh, that's just the way I am. Just the way I am. I've always been like that. That's just who I am. And I hear that. And I say, okay. But the Bible tells us that if anyone, anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, right? The old stuff's supposed to pass away because all things are supposed to be new. 
So instead of saying, that's just the way I am, we should be saying, that's just the way I was. <laughs> Past tense. Right? That old man is gone. He's dead. He's buried. Leave him. Leave him buried. And with people, I hear people say, well, I can't help it. I was born this way. But really? Well, that's why you need to be born again. <laughs> if you were born that way, you need to be born again. So gentleness is not weakness because it has the power to turn away wrath. It has the power to deflect anger instead of stirring it up. Next quality we need to cultivate unity in the body of Christ is everyone's favorite, patience. Give me patience, Lord, and give it to me right now. Right? I need patience. I need it right now. Our sophisticated society is so high-speed, fast-paced, everything. We don't have time to be patient, or so we think. But do you really want to eat a green strawberry because you don't have the patience to wait until it's ripe? I don't think so. So let's look at two references from the book of Proverbs concerning patience. Proverbs 14, verse 29, it says, Whoever is patient has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. That verse in another translation says, a hot temper shows great foolishness. A hot temper shows great foolishness. If you were here the other week, you heard me talk about a lawnmower. I showed great foolishness because it got the best of me. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Here's another proverb about patience. Proverbs 25, verse 15. Patience can persuade a prince, and soft speech can crush strong opposition. That doesn't even sound like those words should be in the same sentence, right? Soft and crush. Soft speech can crush strong opposition. Patience can persuade a prince. So patience has the power to influence people in places of authority. Princes, kings, presidents, whoever. And a patient person, it says, has great understanding. And someone who displays patience obviously doesn't give up easily, do they? A patient person perseveres. They don't bail out or head for the exits as soon as things get rough. A person with patience doesn't give up on people. They don't give up on their dreams. They don't give up on following Christ when things get real challenging. You remember what the Apostle Peter said to Jesus when it got difficult to keep following him? It's not on the screen, but it's, it's in John's Gospel. It's in chapter 6 of John's Gospel. And John tells us there, things were getting tough. Persecution was getting heavy. And he says, from that time on, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And that's exactly what the devil's trying to get you and me to do. Turn back. Go back to our old way of life. Stop following Jesus. That's what he's after. And John tells us that not just a few gave up on Jesus. He says many, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And what I find interesting in this, this verse that says that many deserted him and stopped following him is verse 66. It's chapter 6, verse 666. Anyway. Jesus turned to the 12, his 12. He asked them, well, what about you guys? What are you going to do? You want to bail out too? You want to turn back too? You guys want to give up on me too? 
And Peter, who always had something to say, whether it was necessary or not, he said, where are we going to go, boss? Who are we going to go to? You got the words of eternal life. Peter got it. He didn't always get it, but he got it right that time. You remember that Shane and Shane song we just worshiped to? We sang, Lord of hosts, you're with us. With us in the fire during the tough times. With us as a shelter, he protects us. With us in the storm, he's in the boat with us, folks. So we can sing, you will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go? Just like Peter asked, where are we going to go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. And we can sing, where else would you and I go but with the Lord of hosts? Because he has the words of eternal life for us too. So not giving up, persevering, hanging in there, keep on keeping on. Those are all character traits of someone who has great patience. It's not on the screen, but the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9. He says, so let's not get tired. Let's not grow weary of doing good, for at the proper time, some translations say, at the right time, Another translation says, in due season. You say, well, when is that? When is due season? When is the right time? It's up to God. It's when God says so. That's the proper time. Remember, he created time, right? But, but he's telling us, don't get tired. Don't get weary. Don't get tired of doing good, for at the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up, friends. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're being impatient with, whatever's not working out for you, don't give up. That's what the devil wants us to do. There's a blessing in not giving up. There's a blessing in being patient. And remember, patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Gentleness is in there too. Patience helps us build unity in the body of Christ. Which brings us to the fourth word we're focused on today, and the most important one, love. Man, we could talk about the love of God till Christ returns and never, ever adequately cover it. We mentioned this just the other week, but when one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He didn't have to think it over. Hmm, let me think. There's a lot. I'm going to think which one. No. He knew immediately. He said, Love. Right? First word out of his mouth, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love is our greatest command. To love God first and our neighbors as ourselves are the two greatest commandments according to Jesus. All that other stuff is good, but if we don't have these two down, the rest of it's just noise. That's what Paul said, right? I'm just a loud, clanging, annoying symbol. If I can prophesy and if I have faith to move mountains and I can do all this, but without love... I'm just a loud, annoying noise. It profits him nothing. And in Matthew chapter 22, it's not on the screen, he tells us the whole law, all the teachings of the, all the whole law hinges on these two commandments. So when we commit to love others, when we, when we take that commandment seriously, we commit ourselves to love others, to really show them brotherly and sisterly love, we're doing the most important thing we can be doing on this earth is to love others. And let's be sure we mean it. Oh my. Look at what Romans 12 verse 9 and 10 tell us. 
Don't just pretend to love others. <laughs> really love them. I like that. Don't fake it. He's saying, don't fake it. Don't pretend. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Don't see it as a chore or drudgery or this obligation to honor each other. Take delight in honoring each other. Man, this is such a good stuff. That's the kind of stuff that helps build unity. When we really love each other and we find real delight in honoring each other, that will build unity. Man, there's, there's so much more we need to cover when it comes to building unity in the body of Christ. And I believe we're just scratching the surface this morning. But for today, just for today, I wanted to look at these four character traits that are building blocks. They serve as a necessary foundation to build on. Because without, without those four things, we're wasting our time to build unity first in the body of Christ so that we can go out there and build unity with a skeptical, cynical, confused, hurting world where there was so much division. Before I became a believer, I knew different people who claimed to be Christians, love God, love each other, and they couldn't agree on stuff. They, they would argue more than get along, and I thought, wait a minute, you guys aren't united. Why would I want to be part of something that you guys can't even agree on. You're supposed to be on the same team. I know what you're trying to do is you're trying to draw me, but I don't want to be on either side of this. So to build unity, we have to do it here first before we expect to do it out there. But hey, we might need to start building unity in our own homes first if we've got division there, right? I mean, we're smart enough to know we've got a big bullseye on our back. Satan just wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy our families. We know that. He wants to destroy any unity and any harmony in our homes. So maybe that's where we need to start first before we try to build it here and out there. Let's get that, that right first. But let's not forget these four words we looked at today. We need to be humble. That comes first. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. And we need to love. We don't need to try to win arguments. We don't need to try to prove we're right. Above all, we need to love well because unity is not optional. It's essential. It's essential, whether it's in our nation, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our homes. Unity is essential. That's why every one of us need more humility and need more gentleness and need more patience and need more love. Let's not overlook the power in the scriptures we looked at today. The Word of God is alive, and it's active, and it's powerful, right? And these verses, they have the power to change our hearts. They have the power to renew our minds and transform our lives if, if we will really embrace them and live them out. It's at a point that other people ought to be living them out. Let's make sure we're living them out. These, these scriptures, they have the power to reshape our hearts to be more like Christ's heart. So this isn't just designed to be a journey towards unity. That's a big necessary part of all this. But this is also a journey to be more like Christ. That's the real goal, to be more Christ-like. And if we'll grow in humility, and we'll grow in gentleness, and we'll grow in patience and love, we'll get there. 
Amen? We'll get there. Sound good? Sure hope so. All right, let's, let's stop there. And again, open up the front for some ministry time. Or if you want prayer where you are, pray for somebody. If you've got to go, by all means go. But remember, pray for us to have divine encounters Tuesday night down on the street, down on the courthouse square. We're going to have some live worship. We're going to have people in a prayer booth. We're going to have other people giving out candy. Thank you all for bringing candy. So many of you brought candy. And, man, that, that helps us a lot. Hopefully, Lewis, we won't run out this year. <laughs> you won't have to run to Walgreens. <laughs> oh, but also pray we have the strength <laughs> when it's all over to pack it up, clean up, and get out of there at 10 o'clock. Because this old man's going to be tired come 10 o'clock. I know that. And we still need people to pick a nation on the clipboard. Next Sunday is International Day. Boom, it's bang, bang, bang. We're going to do a lot of things right here from now till probably after New Year's. Um, but we want to pray. It, it's, a, it's a powerful service. It's a longer service than normal. Man, it's not a happy service for sure. But it's reality. It's reality. And we need to be intercessors for our brothers and sisters living in these nations where Christian persecution is high. And... Um, there's only 10 on the list, but there'll be opportunity to pray for any other nation on your heart. But remember, the focus is Christian persecution. That's, that's where we're focused. I know there are a lot of people dealing with, you know, earthquake problems and, and landslides and all this stuff and flooding, but the focus is Christian persecution. Oh, and remember, as Josiah mentioned earlier, sign up to bring some chili, some soup, some dessert on the 12th. And bring somebody with you. We'll have a good time together. All right, please stand with me. We'll say a prayer, and then you're free to go or stay. Father, thank you again for the truth in your word. Thank you for the direction, the instruction in your word. Uh, hearing uh, about unity and, and building unity, and it requires humility. It requires gentleness. It requires patience. It requires a lot of love. And we need to improve. We need to improve in those areas. We got a very skeptical, cynical, confused world out there that doesn't see any reason why they should be part of what we're doing. They've been lied to. They've, they've been deceived. They've been, they've been betrayed, unfortunately, because we're all just people. None of us got it perfect. None of us get it right all the time. But, Lord, we... We want grace, so let us be willing to extend grace to others who, who may be living in a, in a completely different lifestyle than, than what we agree with. Choices they make in might be terrible for them. They may be harmful to them. And, and we might just think, man, it's so stupid. Grow up already. But Lord, give us that extra measure of grace and kindness because your word says it's your kindness that leads to repentance. And your heart is that none would perish, that all would come to repentance and saving grace. So we're asking for that, Lord. We pray for that for Tuesday night out in the street. We're going to see some weird people, some strange costumes. But, Lord, give us your grace and mercy and love for them. Let us see them through your eyes. The potential you see in them, whether they realize it or not, whether they believe or not, we want to represent you. So when they look at us, they see you, not us, not Joy Christian Fellowship, but let your kingdom come to the block party. Let your will be done at the block party on earth as it is in heaven. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.